Hello, everybody. Good morning. How are you? You're awesome. Good to hear. I appreciate that. Well, uh, this message obviously is starting off on a bit stronger, deeper note. But let me just say, how many have expected to hear Florence and the Machine at Parkview this weekend? <laughs> awesome. That song before we came out, it's just fantastic. I thought Ian was going to come off the stage, actually. Uh, well, my name is Casey. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here, and I'm really excited to be starting off this series, a series called Honest to God. And we're going to spend some time in the next, this week and in the next two weeks, working through a book of the Bible called the Psalms. Now the Psalms are very honest, very deep worship songs that were written by some of the oldest believers in God, the Israelites. And they, they express a lot of very, very deep emotion and they express emotions that are real to all of us. But a lot of these emotions are things that we don't really necessarily believe we would feel comfortable taking to God. And yet the Psalms teach us how to bring these things before him. So I get to talk today about praying our doubts and fears. Now, Cubs fans, this would be basically what you feel from April through September. Doubts and fears. So you should know what this is all about. Now, you heard earlier we said if you if you have doubts and you have fears, we'd like for you to text those into us. We're going to do something special with those at the end of the message. So you can text those to ORL at parkviewchurch.com. It's the only time you get permission from me to text while I'm preaching. So I would appreciate it if you actually did that. That would be fantastic. Now, I know talking about praying anything, prayer is one of those things that can get messed up fairly easily. We can get involved in and we can prayers get messed up because that we're involved in and humans beings are involved in. And as a matter of fact, one of the most recognizable prayers in history is actually a little messed up if you really sit down and consider it. And I don't explain it as well as Tim Hawkins. So I'm going to let him do that for you right now. The worst prayers, they got to be the prayers that parents pray with their kids. No wonder they don't want to go to bed at night. My parents used to pray this with me in the dark when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord myself to give. If I should Before I wake, I pray the Lord, my Sweet dreams. <laughs> See you in the morning. Maybe. I don't know. 50-50. I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> I've always wanted to do this, minus the pajamas, this is my dream. What we're afraid of when we're kids can be best summed up with one phrase. It's about what's under the bed. Frankly, as adults, if you think about what's under your bed, you should probably be afraid of it. You know what's under there, really? As kids, we, we know what's under our bed. There's toys, maybe some dust bunnies. And during the day, we're fine with it. But at night, when the shadows come, when the lights go out, 
suddenly there's an infinite world of possibilities under there. Monsters of indescribable size and vengeance are under there. Why does this happen? Here's how I can explain it to you. I have a mild to moderate fear of clowns. Anybody, any other clown fearer people? Okay, now I, I, I know a clown. There's a friend of mine who's a clown, and, and I don't have a, a fear of her because she's one of the clowns that just, just does the mouth paint, you know, with the nose and everything. So a friend of mine and I, we were, we were batting back and forth. We were both afraid of clowns. We were like, why is it that we're afraid of them? And we realized it's not all clowns. It's just the ones who do the all-over-their-head white paint. I blame Stephen King for this because of that clown... I wanted to put a picture up of the guy. I couldn't even go on Google and get the picture. That's how bad it was. Like my finger was frozen. But no, 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 Pennywise. The reason why is because I wonder, and so does he, what are you hiding underneath that white paint? I don't know what's underneath there. I don't know what it is that's hiding underneath there. So the scores of fears that we have in our lives can be best described as things that we just don't know. We're not sure how this is going to turn out. We're not sure what's under, under there in our lives. We don't know how the economy is going to turn out. We don't know how our relationships, our jobs, gas prices, our NCAA brackets, our inner demons, we don't know how those things are going to turn out. And that absence of understanding or knowing what's actually under there, what's actually going to come out next, is the thing that cripples us with fear. Now, the other thing that happens, if you go down one more level, so if we're thinking about what is going to happen next, we start to wonder then, what is God going to do with what happens next. What is God going to do about those monsters under our bed, those things that we are so desperately afraid of, those things that we can't see, what's going to happen next? We can trust and we can have faith, but sometimes we get to a moment where we say, I'm just afraid God is not going to come through on this one. You ever been there? I'm just not sure God is going to come through or I'm not sure why God hasn't come through yet. We look at the world and we see so many things that happen that are so unlike God that we start to wonder if God is really there and he really cares about his people, then why aren't these things changing? Why aren't these monsters that are under the bed disappearing at a rapid rate? And this is why doubts and fears are so well tied together, because what happens is our expectations get disappointed and that's what causes doubt is when things don't happen the way we think they should. When Lehigh beats Duke in the first round, our expectations... I mean, who thought that was going to happen? Nobody... Lehigh thought that was going to happen. None of us thought that was going to happen. It's when the things that we expect to happen don't happen that suddenly doubt creeps in. And then when doubt creeps in, we look down the road and say, well, if this happened here and, and it didn't fulfill the expectations I had, then what's going to happen when the next thing comes? What's going to happen when the next monster rises up from under the bed? Is the same thing going to happen? And that cycle continues on and on. The song we sang with the choir right before the message was all about that battle between doubt and faith, between good and evil, between fear and trust. Because I think we can understand that. It's a tension that most of us live in all the time. And we wish there was someone who could help us with that tension. And sometimes we wonder, God, can you even resolve that tension? So if I can do anything in this message, I want to take that question. God, are you going to come through in this? 
And I want to help you point it to the right place. Because the reality is, is that doubt and fear of God are the most chilling of human emotions. But the news of the Bible is that God wants us to take those things to him so they can show us what's under the bed. I want to take you through a psalm, a song uh, in the Bible that a guy named David wrote. And I think this will help us understand this question of what do we do when we have doubts and fears. This is Psalm 22. Listen to what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. And I am not silent. Now, David writes this as a song that's meant to be sung by a big group of people. It's a worship song. Now, could you imagine our band rocking this thing out? Like, we'd have to put real wine in the communion just to take the edge off of the depression that sets in. And yet, this is where we get to with David. This is the gem of the Psalms. He knows David's got some serious stuff under the bed. That he's just waiting for it to come out. And the one person who feels like should be doing something about it seems to be distant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But does David really believe that God forsaked him? Well, later, other places in the Psalms, Psalm 910, he says, look, those who know your name will trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So which is it, dude? Does God forsake or does God not forsake? God himself even promises Joshua. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. It's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Now, the word forsake there is the word for abandonment. So it's what most of us, when what? Some parents feel like they should do when their kids go off to college. They just pick up and move and not tell them where they went, you know? It's that sort of pack it up, leave everything behind, and go. It's an abandonment kind of feeling. And there are some of us in this room that know that emotion oh so well. When the people we feel like should support us and love us, when these circumstances come, we just don't know what to do with them. When suddenly we become afraid, very afraid of that, and we feel abandoned, We feel like we're at the bottom of a well and the God who is supposed to reach down and dip us out has somehow become absent. That's what David is talking about, this abandonment thing. But if you look at that and you think about faith and you think, well, well, people in the Bible are supposed to be faithful. David's not really even trying, right? It reminds me of the kid who his mom told him to go to the pantry and get a can of tomato soup. And he said, Mom, I don't want to go in there. It's dark in there. And she said, oh, honey, there's nothing to worry about. God is always in the darkness. He said, okay. So he walks over and he slowly creaks open the pantry door and he says, God, if you're in there, hand me the tomato soup. So at least that kid is trying, right? He's giving it his best effort. But David's, how does he get away with praying like this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We need to realize, as David realizes, that God's not afraid of our fear and doubt. Let me just free you from that right now. God is not afraid of the fact that you don't always believe in him completely and fully. God is not scared of your fear and your doubt, even when it's directed at him, especially when it's directed at him. Now, I know how most of us are. We want to get this prayer thing right. You know, how do we do it right? How do we say the right thing and pray the right thing? Do we stand? Do we kneel? Do we close our eyes? Do we lift our hands? What do we do? Because really, if it's talking to God, we want to talk to God well. We want to be good conversation partners with God. And yet David gets this shot to talk to God. And what does he go with? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Dude, bad move. Do you know God zapped people for less than that? And yet this is David's prayer. It's an ancient way of praying called a prayer of lament or complaint. 
In other places, he does the same thing. Psalm 55, he says, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. The Psalms actually have more of these sad lament prayers than any other book of the Bible. And I think it's important for us to realize the Bible teaches us how to gripe and complain well to God. The Bible teaches us the right way to complain to God. Those of you who are natural whiners, this is your chapter. It's got room for everybody. We need to understand that our lives with God will stay lifeless and powerless if we aren't taking our struggles with God to God. Because the reality is, is that God cares about, you know, the Peter says in the New Testament, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Anxiety is strong concern or worry. Anxiety is the stuff that has you reaching for the tums. It's the stuff that has you biting your nails. It has you up late at night, unfocused at work, unable to eat. It's the things that trouble you whenever you're awake or asleep. God cares about those things. And he wants us to throw those things on him. Isn't that comforting? It's so good to know that God is not afraid of that. And he actually welcomes it. Throw your worries and your anxieties on me. The heroes of the Bible knew this. Because they went through it. They went through dealing with the, you know, Abraham, when he was younger, was promised by God to have a child that would produce the lineage that would hold the nations up. And by 99 years old, he didn't have a child yet. And the thought of his 100-year-old wife being pregnant in maternity clothes was just too much for him to handle. And so he laughed. God said, you're going to have a child at 100. And he laughed at him. He said, 100-year-old women shouldn't be having babies. That just ain't right. Joseph was promised a place of success, and yet he ended up getting sold by slave trader, to slave traders by his brothers. He ended up wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned, left in prison to die. Moses was called by God to go lead this majestic nation out of Egypt into a promised land, and what he ended up with was a bunch of self-centered, griping rebellious individuals he was supposed to be leading a glorious nation and he ended up leading a really really angry daycare class across the desert for 40 years and i wonder in the midst of all this if they weren't saying god why have you left us here why have you allowed these things to happen why have you allowed these people to be so troublesome And when are you going to do something about it? I'm not sure that you can or you will. I'm not sure about what's going to happen next, what's going to peek out from under there next. And David deals with more emotion later on in the psalm. He says, listen, I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by men and despised by people. And they say to him, he who trusts in the, you trust in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver you. Let the Lord rescue you. They see him as this guy who believes in God. And now they see him dealing with all these troubles. And don't, isn't it funny how when people think they're right, they suddenly become Dr. Phil and they say, hey, how's that working out for you? They see you as somebody, you, you know, you got the detour sticker on your car, or you're wearing the dog tags, or you're, you're talking about God all the time, and suddenly you fall on hard times, and they look at you, and they go, how's that working out for you, that God thing? It's because people's expectations of God are so far off. They believe that if you're a God person, then that gets you some sort of get-out-of-trouble-free card, but you don't have to read much of the Bible to know that just ain't true. It's just not true. There are struggles that are going to come. So what has to happen when we're dealing with doubts and fears? It's it's a battle of expectations. 
Tim Keller says that doubt is an intellectual issue. Doubt is about what happens between our ears. And doubt comes when our expectations of God are not fulfilled. So in this life, God really has two choices in dealing with us. Either he can conform and live up to our expectations, or he can change our minds. And frankly, I don't want the God who lives up to my expectations. I don't want the suck-up God. Whatever makes you happy. Because you know what? The stuff that makes me happy is wrong most of the time. God, I want you to just, just take away all the, take it, just take it all away. Well, how will I ever learn about patience and forgiveness and grace? How will I ever learn those good and beautiful things if God does that? So if God is not going to live up to my expectations, then God's going to have to change my mind about what's happening. I think this is why Paul teaches in Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says two things. He says, one, take your cares and concerns to God, which is a good thing. We've been talking about that already. But notice what he follows it up with. He says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. From what? What do our hearts and minds need guarded from if we take our concerns and anxieties to him? The best way I can describe this is for guys, we don't learn the goodness of a cup until we've taken a line drive in a baseball game. You don't learn the goodness of sunscreen unless you've been burned so badly that trying to sleep is like rolling around on sandpaper. You know what I'm saying? You don't know the value of protection until you know the pain of its absence. You don't know how dominant fear and doubt can come in your life until you've been confronted with the, you know, and you have to deal with that. When we take our doubts and fears to God, what God does is he shoulders them and takes them on, but he also protects our minds from becoming cynical and dark and bitter about God not living up to our expectations. God protects us from those things. So I know some of us came into this room carrying the world on our shoulders. Something hasn't happened that you've prayed for for a long time. God hasn't come through on an issue. And you're wondering if he's ever going to. You're wondering if those monsters under the bed aren't just reproducing like bunnies and soon they will take over. What do we do When doubts and fears are creating that cycle of bitterness and fear and doubt that we don't feel like we can get out of. I have a couple suggestions, and they're from David from the Psalms. First of all, we need to pray our fears and doubts honestly. We need to pray honestly. The great thing about God knowing everything is that you can't pull one over on him. Like, he pretty much knows what's coming. Like, God, I was on the Lehigh bandwagon the whole time. No, you weren't. God, I've always believed in you. I've always been faithful. I know you're going to take care of that. No, you don't. And that's okay. Instead of trying to fool me, why don't you just tell me what you really are thinking? Because I know it anyway. We grow more when we go to God with the honest, raw emotions all hanging out, our loose ends all untied. We grow more to him then than we do when we pretend that we've got all our junk together. David doesn't have his junk together. He starts his prayer with, God, why have you abandoned me? No hello, no how are you doing? How are things this morning? How's the world? God, where are you? Why haven't you shown up? Why have you left me behind? That's what he starts with. 
we only take our doubts and concerns and issues to people that we believe can actually do something about them. So when we go to God with our unwrapped emotions, with our rawness and our brokenness, what we're doing is saying, I don't have any other choice but to bring these to you because you're the only one I feel like can handle it. And that's not always perfect. Jesus had a man come to him, a father of a son who was possessed. And this demon would throw his son down and injure him and hurt him. And this is what he says. He comes to Jesus, tells him about his son. And then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus says, have you seen my resume? I multiply food, I walk on water, I stop storms, water to wine. I can heal your possessed kid. What do you mean, if you can? What is this business? If. And maybe you, you know what that feels like. You go to God and say, if, if you can. I, God, I don't have much faith. I got about this much. I've got about an if amount of faith that you're going to take care of this. And here's what the father says. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. This guy basically just told Jesus, I believe in you, kind of. I got about this much. What can you do with this much faith? Because there's some of us, when we're in the middle of doubts and fears, we can't believe in God all the way, but we can do this much. Some of us, we don't even know if we believe God exists, but we believe a little bit. And so with this man, he says, I've got this much. What can you do with this much? And Jesus says, go, your son is healed. Jesus heals a man's son with this much faith, with a kind of believe kind of faith. Sometimes we've got to get to the point where in our doubts and fears, we're so beaten up and so broken and so brutalized by the things in life that we're going through that we've only got this much. And God says, I'll take your kind of. Watch what I do with your kind of faith, with that little bit that you have. And why does this work? Why is this man's confession to God so powerful? Because an honest prayer is so much more valuable than the prayer that we make with a mask on that's more about our image than it is about God's power. God doesn't care that you doubt him or that you fear him. He wants your kind of. He wants that little bit of faith that you have. Because he wants to meet you in the reality of where you are, not where you feel like you should be. So we need to pray honestly. The second thing is we need to pray history. Pray history. David talks about this twice. He looks backward as he's praying about the present. He says, listen, you, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. He's talking to God. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And then again, he says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. He looks backward and says, I know right now I feel like you've abandoned me, but in the past, you've come through. In the past, you've done things. You've shown up. When we're feeling in the moment like God isn't going to show up or isn't showing up, it's important for us to look backward and see the times when God did show up. And this isn't just for people who believe in him. This isn't just for Christians. This is for anyone. If you see a moment in your life where something happened, something provenient happened for you that you have no explanation for, it's God showing up. There's no such thing as coincidence. So we start to pray our history Back in 2005, Holly and I began a very strange prayer. 
we began praying that her mom would get just a little bit sicker. And the reason we were doing that is because she needed a liver transplant. And if any of you have gone through the transplant process, what you know is that you have to get sicker in order to get closer to the top of the list, in order to get the organ that you need. And we were praying this very strange prayer. God, she has to get sicker. And that leads her closer to danger. So we're going to be at a spot where if you don't show up, this is it. And thankfully, she got the organ she needed and she's still here today. But those are the moments when we were right in the, right in the thick of that. And I can think of other times in our lives when we prayed through our first uh, child miscarrying. We prayed through job struggles. We prayed through financial struggles. All those things. We look back into the history and go, if God showed up there, then maybe when, you know, comes out, maybe, maybe. We got a kind of God, but it's based on the history that you have shown up. Now, David's final point in this is key. Verse 11. The whole reason we all struggle with the question of God, whether you're an atheist or Buddhist or whatever, an agnostic, whatever. The whole reason we struggle with the question of God is because we have looked at the sources of hope in the world in which we live and we have found them lacking. Why are there so many infomercials? If they all did what they said, you'd only need one. Right. But there are more. We survey the sources of hope that we can reach into and we find them all lacking. David says, don't be far from me because trouble is near and there's nobody else to do anything about this. Where else do we really go? At the core of our being, we know God is the only one who can handle our doubts and fears. So we pray our history and we pray honestly. But there's one last thing. I believe that a lot of our fear and a lot of our doubt comes out of the fear of death. This is the pick-me-up part of the message, just in case you're waiting for the crescendo. It's about the fear of death. We want six-pack abs. We want financial success. We want to be on the winning team to kind of offset the pain of being alive for now, because this is all really there is, right? And yet, remember, Jesus was abandoned by his best friends, forsaken by his disciples. He's actually betrayed by one of them who turns him over to the authorities. He's rejected by his own religious teachers who call him a blasphemer and even call him possessed by the devil. His family thinks he's crazy. His followers, they stop, uh, they defriend him on Facebook and they stop following him on Twitter. And then they go further and they ask, let's execute him as a criminal. The people who are closest to Jesus are the ones who turned on him and abandoned him. And so Jesus, at the lowest point of his life, at the lowest point of abandonment, on the cross, the strangest thing comes out of his mouth. Matthew 27 says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like David crying out, God, why have you abandoned me when all this, you know, is going on? Jesus from the cross, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, says, My God, my God, why have you packed up and moved at this moment in my life? Why have you left me behind? If it's good enough for Jesus to say, why is it not good enough for us to take to the Father? Jesus on the cross had to feel this. He had to go into the darkness, the doubt and the fear you and I feel. He had to go in to the abandonment that David felt because there was no other way for him to understand what it really felt like to be us. 
And what is God's answer to his question? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is it. In Mark 16, an angel speaks to the women who find the tomb empty at Easter. And they said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. The answer to Jesus' question is very, very simple. The reason God forsaked him is so he could go under the bed for us. So that he could take on every monster, every struggle, every doubt. So that he could come out the other side when the tomb was empty and say, You may lose this struggle. You may lose this battle. But I will win the war. This resurrection is a fist in the face of every monster that's ever been on any bed in the history of the world so when we doubt and when we fear we need to be patient but we need to remember that god challenged the depths of the darkness god challenged the depths of abandonment that we feel he says my son went under the bed for you he's seen what you doubt what you fear what you can't see will you follow him into the darkness i am god but just because i'm light doesn't mean i don't know how to find you in the dark Will you follow my son? Will you wait with him in the darkness? Will you speak from the cross? God, why have you forsaken me? And trust me that one day I'm going to pull back the cover. I'll show you what's under the bed. And I'll show you that it has no power over you anymore. I was up uh, late Friday night, mourning my bracket. And I was scanning the internet, and I, I found a friend of mine, um, her blog, and I just thought, this is what Psalm 22 looks like in real life. And so I want to read to you what she wrote today. She went through this really difficult time where she and her husband were planning to move north and work with a church plant, and they'd already gotten in with the people, and they started to really enjoy their presence and really love them, and that fell through. They couldn't sell their house. They couldn't move. And then they were in the process of adopting a little girl. They'd never met her, but they'd seen pictures and they had talked to her. And they were falling steadily in love with this beautiful little girl. And the adoption fell through. And then in the middle of all this, a family member of hers was brutally assaulted. And this is what she says about the whole experience. And this is Psalm 22. She says, I went for a drive and I just started repeating the word why over and over again. A blanket question that covered the monster of uncertainty that raged in my soul. And I felt God asking me to stop holding back and tell him how I really felt. So she went on. I told him that I was blanking ticked at how he had redirected our lives. I was ticked about how he's making us wait for an indefinite period of time for a little girl I already love with my heart and have never even seen. I told him I was so blanking angry with him for letting me love that person I may never even get to meet. That I thought this was BS. And I raged against him. I told him I don't understand. I told him how desperately lonely I felt in all of it. How I couldn't feel his presence. And I felt I couldn't trust him anymore and how ticked I was in him for that. I swore at him continually. I beat with all my might on his chest. I screamed. I grieved deeply over the loss of my expectations. And I fell apart. And then the healing rushed in. And I started to let go. And amazingly, I started to see the whys in some small ways. I didn't need to. It wasn't my right to. 
But he gave me that gift. He gave me perspective again. He brought me back to the place of humility before him, a place where I can praise him honestly, a place that I had lost. He softened what was becoming a hard heart within me. I hope I can hang on to this deeper practice of being honest to God. This is Psalm 22 in real life. It's the crying out to God with all of our emotions bared and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And believing because of the cross, he will take us under the bed and show us the darkness for what it is. Oh, and that was just half of Psalm 22. The other half is what we get to sing about right now. All, all weekend, I've just I've stood back and watched the doubts and the fears. It just it breaks my heart to see what what people are going through and the 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 depths, how deep those roots go. I know it's not easy to take our doubts and fears to God. It doesn't seem right. We should just be telling him good stuff, like everything's fine. But we're not forcing them on him. He's asking for them. Cast your anxieties and cares on me, because I care for you. It reminds me of uh, my daughter and my wife were walking out of grocery store a couple months ago, back when it was snowing. You guys remember that? And my daughter became fixated on those really big snowflakes, you know, the, the unthreatening snowflakes, the pretty ones. And she looks up and she... My wife said, honey, we have to go. And she said, oh, mama, I'll take your hand and I'll just keep walking. And then she stopped. And she looked at my wife and she said, will you take me? What she was asking was, can I trust you that I can look up and not pay attention where I'm going and you will take me by the hand and take me to the right place. When we share this meal communion together, what we are asking and what Jesus is telling us is because of my body and because of my blood, I will take you. I will take you under the bed. I will show you that there is nothing to fear. I will sit with you in the darkness And you may lose the battle with cancer. You may lose the battle for your marriage. You may lose the battle for your kids. But I have won the war. And that this is not the end. That because my body was broken, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because my blood was shed, the guilt of your sin and your failure, it's no longer part of your story. It's no longer part of the guilt you have to carry. So Jesus says, will you let me take you to my Father? So they pass the trays across. There are two cups. Take both of them. Hold them. We're going to take communion all together. Uh, If you're not a part of Parkview, that's fine. We welcome you, if you're a believer in Jesus, to take communion with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, for your grace and your goodness, for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that... Help us to deal with the darkness under the bed. We are so grateful. Bless us now as we think on what it is that we're afraid of and what it is we doubt. Help us to turn those things over to you in this moment.
Amen.